Welcome to a brand new episode of Let's Accelerate, the podcast on corporate innovation. Your hosts are Luisa and Manuel from Bosch Innovation Consulting. In our today's episode, we talk to Andrew Bins about his new book, Corporate Explorer, How Corporates Beat Startups at the Innovation Game. Andy is co-founder and director of ChangeLogic, a Boston-based strategic advisory firm. Early in his career, he worked for McKinsey and IBM, where he met Charles O'Reilly and Mike Tushman, co-authors of Corporate Explorer. Now, let's plunge into this episode and learn more about how explorative innovation in corporations can succeed. Andy, thanks a lot for coming to our podcast. Delighted, Manuel Luisa. It's, it's great to have this opportunity to speak with you and your listeners. Thank you. So your new book is called Corporate Explorer, How Corporations Beat Startups at the Innovation Game. Now, this may sound a bit provocative to some. Can you tell us a bit more about what a corporate explorer actually is and how corporations benefit from them? Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, Every book needs a good, provocative subtitle. If we had said corporate explorers, these few occasions on which corporates beat startups, it would not be quite so snappy. Um, and therefore, you know, our marketing might suffer. Um, and so a lot of what we've done there is, 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 is said something provocative, deliberately provocative, but it's also true. There are plenty of examples where corporations do get ahead and shape new markets what uh, and and do so ahead of startups but that doesn't make the headlines this is not something that is easy to capture people's attention with in the way that a new startup doing something that you don't anticipate uh, might do uh, and they get multiple rounds of funding they get ipo ipos and so on each of them are newsworthy events get attention in business But it, it does it get the same headlines that uh, the the legal information firm LexisNexis, you know, created um, a whole category around big data analytics uh, in insurance, and then spread that into other industries, creating a multi-billion-dollar business. No, but if they were a startup, we would all know their their their, their name. Uh, and so I think that that um, is a lot of what corporate explorers do. They create new ventures in existing corporations, ones that build new revenue streams and develop new capabilities for organizations. And you know, there's a lot of talk um, uh, about this notion of an ambidextrous organization. My colleagues and co-authors, Mike Tushman from Harvard, Charles O'Reilly from Stanford, have been researching and writing about this for you know 30 years or so. They wrote this article back in uh, 2002 um, uh, well, 2003, sorry, uh, for the Harvard Business Review, the ambidextrous organization. And uh, it's taken a while to catch on, uh, but it's interesting. Lots of other people are now using it um, and uh, understanding what this means. And it means to both manage your core business and explore into new areas. And that's what a corporate explorer is doing. They're the person spearheading uh, these new ventures. 
that's interesting you're mentioning that there's a kind of a disbalance between startups and the corporate innovations when it comes to publicity. Why do you think that's the case? Why do startups get a lot more attention by the public uh, and by media and so on um, than corporates do? Well, uh, a lot of that is because they do great things. Startups are utterly vital to our economy and to innovation. They are often the spark um, uh, that is able to uh, help us see opportunities like the, the sharing economy and platforms and all of these other threads in, in innovation that we uh, uh, have, have um, you know, worked on over the last 10 years. But um, that's been true for, you know, for, for, for time and eternity, right? There, there, is, there is something about a unconstrained uh, startup with a clear vision and a passionate commitment to solving a problem in the world um, that is just both um, uh, helpful. You know, we all benefit from what they do, but it's inspiring. It's just tremendously inspiring um, to, to to see people who are able to have both that insight, but also the commitment to put themselves out there uh, and and risk something and kind of see the vision through to success. So I think that is rightfully something that startups are famous for. But that doesn't mean that corporate explorers don't also make a, a useful and powerful contribution. Uh, it's, it's, it's really a, it's a both and you know, situation. Mm -hmm. So when we're now taking a deeper look at the person of the corporate explorer, what differentiates a corporate explorer from an ordinary entrepreneur? Yeah, Louise, I think this is this is key for us to get to because I think we've um, been misleading people for a long time with this term intrapreneur, right? Um, which I don't know if that is a, a term that you use in Germany very yeah, much, but, but I've, mm -hmm. I've heard it more uh, recently than I think uh, previously. And, and the, the, let, me, let me tell you why I object to the term and why I think Corporate Explorer is a better one. Um, the firstly, it defines a thing by something, by something else. It's to sound like it's an entrepreneur without being an entrepreneur, right? It's very strange. Secondly, in, in intra means within and and the difficulty that large successful corporations have is they turn inwards over time as they optimize themselves get better and better at delivering the results that their core business uh, is capable of they turn inwards and that's not a question about any one organization it's not about a geography or an industry it is just the way that large organizations tend to move, right? And, and so one of the things that a corporate explorer is doing is all about turning outwards. It's about that outside-in impulse. And that's why even if um, they don't always generate the you know, multi-million, multi-billion dollar revenue streams that we want them to, they still have value because they connect uh, companies, employees, teams with um, the, 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 what's shifting for customers, what's shifting for markets, what's shifting for technology. And so they have this, this vital contribution to make. Mm -hmm. Now, what's different, uh, about them, uh, uh, is, is important, but also there's a lot that's the same, right? So what's the same is they are passionately committed. If you look at, you know, the, the stories we tell in Corporate Explorer, if you look at, um, Christian Kurtish, Uh, at Unica Insurance in Hungary, or Balaji Bondili um, in um, uh, in uh, Deloitte, or we also tell the story of your 
uh, your 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 fabulous colleague uh, Sarah Cavallo as well. And all three of these characters have the same thing in common, which is that they see something in the world that they want to make better. They see a, a problem they want to make better. And they're inspired by that, driven in some cases. Balaji uh, is quite interesting because he has this experience of working uh, in a crowd, you know, a, a crowdsourced team to support people recovering from the Asian tsunami um, uh, a decade or more ago. And that is such a powerful experience for him because it teaches him a different way of uh, engaging with fellow professionals. And he says, well, how could I use that to reinvent the way we do consulting? And out of that comes what he later calls Deloitte Pixel. So he's, this is sort of passionate commitment that he has. And that's the same as Jeff Bezos to creating a whole new way of, uh, of retailing. Uh, it's the same as Bill Gates and, and operating systems uh, uh, and so on. So there, there, there is something that's the same. There's also some important things that are different. And of course, the biggest different context is that they're within an organization and their stakeholders, their investors are not venture capitalists, they're senior managers. And so if they're going to be successful, they need to get the attention of that senior management team mm -hmm. and to do so in a way that's going to inspire them into action uh, and to invest and support what they're proposing. Mm -hmm. So, and if we now think of corporates, many people, so from my, from my perspective, many people think that corporates are traditional, slow, a lot of processes and hierarchy. Um, and if you compare a corporate to a startup, that might be more fitting and appealing to a person like a corporate explorer. What do you think? Why do the corporate explorers then choose to work for a corporate and not for their own startup? Yeah, and of course, in the case of um, uh, Christian Kurtish at Unica, uh, he had that option. You know, he had um, venture capital firms interested in pursuing his idea. And so the reason that Christian gives for making this choice uh, to build the business inside of this, you know, multi-billion dollar, many thousands of people organization of Unica Insurance um, is that they had the assets that he could build on. They had actuaries to develop the products. They have the insurance license. They have the marketing capabilities and resources. Right? And also, critically, he's a part of that community. You know, this, is, this is his team. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't going to just walk out on them. And that's not to criticize entrepreneurs who leave their firm and set up a business. I'm not saying that. But for him, it was different. He is a part of that team. And I had the great privilege to uh, attend uh, a, a meeting of the Unica sort of large leadership teams sort of the top 100 or so several years ago. And they they went to Budapest to visit ShareRisk, uh, Christian's uh, digital uh, um, insurance startup there. And, and, to, and, and Christian told them the story, took them through what they'd done and so on to this to this group who kind of knew about it but didn't know it in detail. The pride that he had in sharing this story to his colleagues and the inspiration that they took from what he had achieved and what his team had achieved um, was really very special. So there's something about the corporate explorer who is, yes, passionately driven to solve a problem in the world, really deeply committed to this uh, and 
there's also there's a there's a sort of a they're a part of a community there there's a social good mm-hmm. um that they that they are part of uh which which i think explains um why they do this within a company and of course they have the assets and that's a big reason why they can go faster than startups if they can make it work and that's the big question mm. we'll come to that in a in a minute but what interests me is this difference of a corporate explorer and an entrepreneur, what Louisa was referring to, and you were referring to the Christian Kurtish and the others, um, still there is kind of a trade-off between personal risk you take when you when you start up an own business and have to make your, your living out of it and being still an employee in a corporate, having your salary and being somehow safe That not to lose your job and, and not to have to sell off your house uh, if the project fails. But on the other hand, um, maybe it's not that much rewarding as even if that comes out to be a multi-million dollar business inside that corporation, you still will somehow earn the same amount of money, maybe a little bonus or some incentives. I think in your book, um, you refer to this this problem yeah um, incentivizing corporate explorers what's your opinion is that a, an obstacle for corporate innovation yeah. or is Ob- that a, a, a plus a bonus an advantage so i think it's both right it's definitely an obstacle there's no question that um, we are asking um, corporate explorers or they're asking of themselves in many cases to go beyond the norm Uh, and to commit themselves to building something that is a real stretch to the to to the, to an established firm, and I'd say they put some stuff at risk, some very important things at risk, and the most important one is their reputation. If you um, are a corporate explorer, you have a vision, you start working on it. At first, nobody is praising you and celebrating you, right? Well, maybe some are. Maybe some enjoy <laughs> the new idea and enjoy the possibilities. But there's an awful lot of people who think that it's maybe a little crazy to be spending money on this uh, on this harebrained idea, right? That why can't we just spend that money on getting more revenue from what we already know works, you know? And so a lot of these innovation projects, a lot of corporate explorers become unpopular, um, particularly if they act like entrepreneurs with candidly the sort of arrogance and sort of declaring independence type mentality that that goes with that because it makes them you know separate and it makes them isolated from the rest of the company and so they they become you know somebody who um is not popular and very often they leave right? um and so you know we talk about how they how, how the successful ones achieve this and it's mostly to do with managing their relationships very effectively But the incentives issue then is um, it's really about do we give incentives to people um, that are in some way uh, equivalent to an entrepreneur? You can't do that. It's not going to be possible. So all you can do is to create some sort of in some separate scheme that allows them to see an improvement in their in their the you know, their, their financial rewards probably on a long term basis right this is probably five years seven years it's a, a long term um, uh, payout um, and it's not life changing I, I think that's absolutely absolutely true but it can still be attractive however there's another incentive 
And the other incentive is how it enhances your career. And you look at um, this LexisNexis example I give and Jim Peck. You know, Jim was a middle manager. He became a CEO. He built a multi-billion dollar business. He's now the CEO of his third company. Hmm. That is career building. That is, I do not know Jim's personal financial situation, but I suspect it's quite attractive. Right? And, and so I think we can be too narrowly focused on the get rich quick mentality that tends to go with some of this incentives discussion. I don't think that's the whole story at all. Yeah. I think this subject of how to incentivize um, employees, corporate explorers, in the right way, in the best way, that could be subject to a whole I don't know, PhD topic. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've done some research since the book into this. And what we find across, uh, I think we're up to about 10 companies that we've um, looked at how they compensate their um, uh, corporate explorers. Uh, we found that there are very few that have special incentive schemes, and there is no apparent correlation to success. Right? There are firms, and we describe some in the book, um, that uh, have set up uh, innovation projects, much as you have within in Bosch, um, and have done so in a way that would allow the corporate explorer to be paid out uh, like $10 million if they get to a billion uh, or, or valuation, valuation is another thing we can talk about, um, uh, of, of their innovation. But there's no evidence that that led to any better innovations or it didn't build any businesses for the company. Right? So we come up with these schemes. We make them sound good because they look like something that works outside corporations. Mm -hmm. But we don't go back and look at evidence. Did they work? And so far, our evidence suggests that they don't. Or at least there's no strong correlation to suggest that they do. So now, if if I was the CEO of a corporate, or let's say responsible for a division or a big business unit, and I wanted to encourage my employees to go for more explorative ideas, to become corporate explorers, what should I do? What do you recommend? Yeah. The one thing I'd say, Manuel, first is that you, I think you do want to do that. And it's really important to note that corporate explorers don't get assigned this responsibility. Nobody asked Balaji or Christian or Sarah even to you know, go build a, 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 a disruptive business, please. They put themselves into this process. They're the ones who initiated the idea. They're the one who had the passion. So what those CEOs you're describing need to do is, is to get that it's as much to do with how they ignite passion, how they ignite commitment, uh, as it is how they set up formal programs and processes and training courses and all of these other things, which have a role unquestionably, but but of themselves, they don't, they're, they're, they're inadequate to the task. And none of the people in the uh, book went through a training program or an acceleration program or any of these things uh, le leading to their success, right? There's, 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 there's something else at work. And one of the things that's at work is, does the CEO create uh, a, an ambition for the firm that is a license to explore? You know, one of my favorites we talk about in the uh, in the book Corporate Explorer is uh, Ajay Banga at Mastercard. Right? It's it's very simple. He's like wage a war on cash, right? and convert a high percentage of the eighty five percent of transactions that are digital, sorry sorry that are manual into digital. 
so that increases their market and and he sets about um, then a more formal innovation program to inspire people to come forward with ideas that work um, for that ambition and he does it's not a free-for-all it's not lots of ideas any ideas will do it's in discrete areas another example would be Jensen Huang at Nvidia so Jensen faces the challenge from Intel you know he's a successful company uh, 2008 nine um, many billions of revenue but Intel really is coming for his business and his response is not to double down on today it's to think about tomorrow it's to explore and he inspired his company saying we want to solve the toughest problems that in the world that nobody else is solving particularly in the domain of artificial intelligence and he defines these sort of different end markets that they're going to go after autonomous driving deep computing uh, and um, and cryptocurrency and so on and so what he does is yes he sets this bold ambition just like ajay banga but he also defines these discrete areas where um, he wants his team to realize that ambition. And this, this performs a very important function because it connects innovation to strategy. It connects innovation to opportunity as well, right? rather than it being a free-for-all. You know, we, we sometimes make the mistake of thinking that innovation is the same as creativity. It's really not. Right? It's about ideas that get applied, that get used, and that generate either revenue or social good or whatever outcome you're seeking to create from it. And that means you've got to know that where that innovation is focused is going to be a place that is going to realize those goals, and that the organization uh, is going to commit resources to it. Right? And that, again, is, is key, because the alternative is that it's a zoo. Lots of ideas, Lots of possibilities, no funding, no action. And that just demoralizes people in the long run. Yeah, the famous innovation zoo. So you would say that the starting point is to have a strategic ambition. And do I get you right that this is something that has to come from top down? So meaning from, from CEO level, top management, strategic um, setting, and then maybe broken down to um, strategic areas like hunting zones? Or is that something, that strategic ambition, um, that can come out of a, a smaller part of the corporate, so a subdivision or even a business unit? Or does it have to be top-level management strategic decisions? So I'd say that um, what I'm describing is the, the implication of what we see works for senior leaders. So I would, I would and, and often do advise senior leaders, let's, let's develop the strategic ambition and the hunting zones where you're going to realize that. Does it happen without those? Yes, most certainly, because corporate explorers are remarkably inventive, committed, creative uh, individuals, and uh, they are able to, um, I, I found, attach themselves to the sort of the, the ambition and help the senior team learn what they mean as well. Right? Um, in some ways, you could argue that with 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 Unica, there was a, an ambition um, to help our customers uh, lead healthy, better, safer, longer lives, uh, and there was a little bit more around that ambition um, that, that, that the CEO Andreas Brandstetter had had articulated, and there was a commitment to. 
digital reinvention in the firm. Uh, and at the same time, Christian you know, put him, got himself on the agenda of the senior team. He wasn't put there by somebody else. It was his advocacy that got him there. And he also taught them the level of ambition that he had. This is one of the things that really defines the, the corporate explorer is they set a scale of ambition for the venture that is of consequence. And he didn't roll up and say, yeah, if we do this digital insurance product I'm describing, it can do you know, 10% better on you know, how many household policies we sell. No, he said, this is a fundamentally different way of doing things that is not only going to be better for customers, but has radically different economics for our firm as well. And, and that sort of scale of ambition uh, is what gets attention. So it's a little of both, Manuel. It's mm. yes, senior leadership, but it's also this pressure from the corporate explorer very often. And sometimes I hear the, uh, some little criticism about this strategic ambition or defining hunting zones, meaning if you, if you do so and if you limit your innovation around uh, certain zones, defined areas, then you may kill the next super innovation because it's not inside that hunting zone. What do you say? Is it, do you, you do have to kill ideas which are outside the strategic ambition? Or is there a path for even ideas beyond that? So the, the, um, it's, it's a, it's a decision, you know, that a corporation is going to make. All I can do is, 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 um, is tell you what I see as I spend my time when I'm not writing books like Corporate Explorer, um, going to firms, working with CEOs and their teams. And because, um, of our academic, um, background with Mike and Charles at Harvard and Stanford, we are often asked to review the situation that firms are in with their innovation portfolios. And a persistent thread of that work is firms that have spent a lot of money on starting innovations that nobody believes will turn into ventures that they want, that will turn into revenue streams that matter. And so that tells me that there's a lot of money being wasted in the world. And so one of the big myths of corporate innovation is that they won't fund innovation. Often the question is not that they're spending too little, it's that they're spending too much and they're spending it in the wrong places because it's being um, informed by the logic that you describe of let a thousand flowers bloom, let's have innovation everywhere. I'm not against creativity, I just want it bounded so that it's going to be targeted on opportunity. And it's going to be targeted an opportunity that the business actually wants to invest in. Because, uh, you know, I, I can't tell you some of the stories, let me just say that much, that, that are because of co client confidentiality. But they are extraordinary stories where millions are spent year after year on ideas that, that really obviously are never going to turn into markets of any size or consequence. And so really, I've got to throw it back and say the people who are advocating this alternative of let's have unconstrained innovation. Uh, who, why? Who's in whose interest in that? And, and, and I'm sorry, I think it's in the interests of the people advocating it. It's the innovation um, platform people. It's the folks who try to create startups uh, or startup platforms inside corporations. I, I've got a question mark. This is like a, a little sort of innovation industry that lives off 
um, uh, of the desire that corporations have to to build new businesses without necessarily generating tangible results or outcomes. And so I think there's a, you know, I, I think they've got to have some responsibility here. Steve Blank calls them innovation tourists. You know, they like to play and visit and enjoy the 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 um, uh, the possibilities of innovation, but not do what innovation is about, which is scaling ventures, ideation, incubation and scaling a venture so that it generates an outcome that matters. And that's why I think this whole ambition and hunting zone thing is so important to success. Fully understand and fully agreed, Andy. But that brings me to uh, maybe a provocative question. So to build up an ambidextrous organization is truly hard work, I would consider. And you described it from it's it doesn't doesn't stop at the strategic ambition and the ideation you have to do a validation or so incubation phase and then scaling it up to become really a successful business. That is, if again, if I was CEO, why should I bother with all this hassle of internal innovation process of ideating, incubating, scaling? Why not take a shortcut? Acquiring an existing startup that has already shown some traction in the market and offers the technology or solution I desire. Uh, isn't that easier than doing it all on your own? Yeah, let's do, let's take shortcuts because uh, those always work, right? I took a <laughs> shortcut once when I was driving my family back from the south of France. I swore to my wife that we would, uh, we would no way we were going to end up in Paris on this shortcut. We did, and we got stuck in the periphery going around. You know, that's, <laughs> shortcuts get you stuck very often, is my point. And the, the, the challenge is this, which is that when you buy an early stage asset, thinking that it's going to deliver a shortcut, uh, it can work. Of course, it can work. Mm -hmm. But more often than not, you find why it is that that venture is, is immature. I'm working for a client now where they spent a billion dollars on some very exciting technology with a startup, uh, only to discover that it is not really mature enough to build into a revenue stream. And they're trying to wrestle with now, how do we develop and explore business system, you know, retrospectively to manage what we didn't realize we had. They didn't, they didn't, weren't trying to explore. They thought they could do what you described, taking a shortcut, and it just didn't work. So much better is to think about, well, what's my scaling path? How am I going to understand the market opportunity and then realize it both with my own assets and with those that I can acquire? So this is the LexisNexis story. And uh, I, I think it's a great story because it challenges some of our assumptions about scaling, which is that it, it, it must be the The, the, the perfection of the, of the innovation, the product that we create, that that's what's going to scale. No, no, no. It's often much, much more than the in innovation itself. You're going to have to add some different capabilities. Maybe there is um, software capabilities. Maybe there are hardware capabilities in the case of a technology firm. Maybe uh, you need different customer access. Very often, innovations involve a shift in the customer group that you're serving. And, and, and often there might be different capacity. Maybe you need a service center or a call center or different manufacturing. So customers, capabilities, capacity, how are you going to build those to get to scale? And that's one of the things that this LexisNexis story tells very nicely is they had 
key assets, but then they acquired technology, they acquired data, they built uh, a venture that's multi-billions of dollars. That's real business model innovation mm -hmm. is, is how you do that. And I think some of our sort of notions about um, the, uh, the innovation playbook are different when you're thinking about things in that, uh, that frame. Product market fits is often seen as like the last step before you launch a product. Really don't think so. Right? That's a very important milestone on the path, but it doesn't guarantee the adoption in the ecosystem of a product. It doesn't tell you how you're going to take it to its peak revenues. Uh, and so that's a different story, whether you acquire the asset or whether you build it yourself, you still have to do those things. Mm -hmm. So so when I'm now comparing corporates to startups, there is or there can be exactly that unfair advantage of leveraging the assets for a corporate. So you also dedicate quite some space in your book to this topic, describing success factors and pitfalls of that that part. Um, can you give some insights on what you consider the most challenging facet of this aspect? Yes, I, I think that um, you know the, the, the difficulty of, of, of scaling the new venture is 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 in you know, partly those strategic questions that we just we just discussed. Um, uh, it's it's also in the organizational challenge. You know how how long do you keep a venture separate from the organization? When do you fold it back into a business? But it's also about leadership. And it's about, do, do leaders have the commitment to act? Will they actually, at the moment at which you have validated the opportunity, are they willing to then step across the precipice, as it were, and say, yes, I'm going to commit the resources needed to scale? And no amount of lean startup, business model, innovation, maturity, and all of the excellent things that, that, that you um, practice in your acceleration uh, programs can um, remove the reality that at some point, a leader does need to commit to scaling. And yeah. so part of the secret of the corporate explorer is keeping those key stakeholders on board so that they're ready to make that um, make that decision because it does require a little bit of courage um, to, to do that. Mm -hmm. that's, that's right. And I think one very positive example from your book is um, Vince Roche from, from Analog Devices who dedicates the big amount of his time to meet with the explorative teams and to review the process. And I think that's really an outstanding example and maybe some kind of a role model for, for other leaders in that area. But assuming that not every CEO or top executive is embracing exploration so strongly as him, what can corporate explorers do to raise the awareness for their ideas and to influence the management decisions in their favor? Yeah, so I think they, 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 um, they, they need a really compelling story. A story that is about a customer problem that's solved and, a, and, the, and the potential the transformative potential uh, of what they generate. You know, Christian Kurtish had this one page. It's a picture. And the picture had on one side of it uh, a big tower block. Just happened to look a little bit like the Unica Tower that stands over the Danube Canal in <laughs> Vienna. Just, just by chance. Right? And he says, this is the insurance industry today. Floors of, upon floor of people administering policies, 
and um, trying to catch customers out um, are from from fraud, right? This 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 is not customer centric. This is insurance policy centric. It is managing our business centric. And over here, he had another picture, which is the two people he needed to run Sharisk. Right? That the, the the just a, a totally radical rethink of the basics of the business. Right? And so that got the attention of uh, his CEO and his management board. So that's a dramatic imagery, clarity of telling story. But the other thing they need is some humility. Right? So um, people like Balaji Bondili or Sarah Cavallo, then these are not bragging, loud, arrogant people. These are people who uh, I think are willing to see others take credit for their work. Right? That That's other right. people make them successful. And they don't have to be the center of the room. It doesn't mean they don't have any lack of vision or passion or commitment, but it doesn't have to be all about them. And what that helps them do is then build a sort of social network around the innovation, a, a movement of people, allies, advocates, people who are willing to be ambassadors and go and talk to the blockers that will exist in the organization. So that, that sort of how do you leverage your social connections is really what allows the corporate explorer to succeed. Um, and, and, you know, yes, Vince Roche is a fantastic CEO uh, and one who has a, a real open door to explorers. Um, and that isn't everyone's gift. Um, but that doesn't mean that corporate explorers can't succeed. And there are, there are plenty of examples where they do. And I should say that in any of the organizations that I claim, there are still people saying we need to change the culture here. We need to make it more agile. It, analog devices or Deloitte or Unica, these are not the promised land uh, of companies without problems and without issues to work on. Not far from it. They're still working hard. They're fabulous companies, but they're just like everywhere else at some level. So um, the, those corporate explorers can succeed if they're willing to have a great story, not make themselves the hero, and build a network around and movement around uh, what, what they're proposing. Hmm. As, as you mentioned, our colleague Sarah, I think that perfectly fits to hear that description. And we're very happy to have her as a coach in our program after her exploration journey uh, within Bosch. Um, referring to that, uh, saying corporate explorers do need a compelling story We fully agree, and that's what we're trying to teach to our teams as well. Okay. So, yeah. and do you have a, we say, a methodology for how you teach a story to to to, to teach the story of of, of, a, of a venture? No, not not a methodology how to teach a story. What we're doing is we say we we ban pitches, so we don't want the the innovation teams the corporate explorers to pitch to sell their idea to um, to the CEO or to any to any executive <laughs> forum what we do is that we want them to tell a compelling story and to tell their lessons learned so what did they learn along their journey That's and basing right. on facts and findings they had in that time rather than on on a perfect sales pitch Yes, yes. I, I also like the Amazon approach um, of the uh, PRFAQ. Right? So one page press release, customers talking about the value they get from this innovation. And then no more than six pages of frequently asked questions, which is the data that you're describing to back that up. Uh, that strikes me as being remarkably elegant and, and focused on the right thing, because ultimately an innovation should be tested against 
does it solve a customer problem? Is there a job to be done that has been uh, addressed? What, what evidence do you have to tell us that? And is it worth solving? Like, is, is the scale uh, then worth solving? And if you can get that, um, both from this sort of compelling, engaging idea, uh, but then the data that supports that is very important. And in Corporate Explorer, we talk a lot about how you think about data, how you think about evidence, because it's one of the things that uh, is is important. And we've learned, I think, from the startup movement. I think Steve Blank should be given a lot of credit for focusing uh, yeah. us much more towards how do we do disciplined business experimentation. Uh, and that's that's a, 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 a something that is useful not only in this new venture creation, it's useful in any other part of uh, um, innovation uh, in, and indeed management practice benefits from that approach. Absolutely. Andy, coming towards the ending of our, our episode, um, we would like to finish with our sentence completion. So I would give you three starters and uh, wow. you just end the sentence if you All want. Right. All so. right, I'll do, a, do my best here. Okay, go for it. Is there a drum Chris. roll? You put a, um, some music behind <laughs> this. To, uh... Maybe you think of that for the next time. <laughs> so, the best thing about being a corporate explorer is? Building something that matters. That's a good ending. I, I just think that it's about, it's about the impact. That's what these people are driven by, most of all. Second, the reason number one why disruption should be an inside job is you already have most of the assets you need. Exactly. It's the job to leverage them, right? Yeah. And third, uh, a third sentence. In addition to my own one, the book I can recommend to any corporate explorer and innovation manager is uh, the second time you read Corporate Explorer. <laughs> right. It gets um, better the, the, the more gets, often you read it. <laughs> absolutely. And, and you can buy two copies. I mean, you know. It, it, <laughs> um, so I would recommend um, uh, A Wide Lens by Ron Adner. Um, this, I think, is a uh, an inadequately understood aspect of innovation, um, it, which is around ecosystems and what he describes as adoption chains. I, I, I reference it in Corporate Explorer. But you know, reading Ron's own work, I think, really helps bring it alive uh, as to just how uh, so critical it is to understand um, all of the other things that condition the acceptance and growth of a product in the market. And it's a little bit more complicated than product market fit. And I think he does a great job of articulating that. Well, thanks for this recommendation. Andy, it was great talking to you. But before Bye. we depart, um, if people want to know more about you, the book, or Change Logic, where can they find information? Uh, TheCorporateExplorer.com, uh, ChangeLogic.com, all one word, or find me uh, on LinkedIn, uh, Andrew J.M. Bins. Uh, I'd be very happy to, to connect with people and to talk to them about the book and about the general topic of corporate innovation. Fantastic. We'll put this information in our show notes as well. Once again, thanks to thank for being our guest today and have a good day, Andy. Thank you so much.